Well, good morning again. <laughs> How are you all doing? Well, anybody suffering with some allergies today? Yeah, me too. But don't worry, we've got a really good text that's going to keep our, our focus and our attention. All right? Today we're going to be talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what truth is, and freedom. But before we jump into all of that, I want to ask, uh, ask you all a question. I need some help from the couples in the room. Okay? So here's my question to you. Whenever you go out to eat, who is more likely to get more food than they can eat in one setting, okay? How many of you would say it's the husband? Let me see. Okay, few hands there. How many of you would say, nope, it's the wife? All right. <laughs> it looks like we would probably have to say from this poll, it would be the wife. Although there's probably a third category where she waits to see what he gets so that she can have some of it. So <laughs> anyway, um, I thought that, that this would be perfect um, to kind of lead into a story that I've got for you from when I went to Brazil um, this past June. So um, I went to Brazil and, and on our last uh, couple nights there, uh, Frankie wanted to offer the team the ability to go to a fancier restaurant, okay? So um, he, he says, hey, you can go if you want. If not, you know, um, you, can, you can find something around kind of close. And, and I was very tempted to go, but, but there was one problem. I really wasn't that hungry, but, you know, I kind of psyched myself up for it, and I'm like, you know, I did not, um, I'm, I'm not going to leave Brazil without trying some of their fancy cuisine, right? So we went to this restaurant called the Coco Bamboo, all right? So we walk in there, and they hand us our menus, and I start looking through it, and I'm like, huh, it seems like the, the more tasty dishes seem to be in bigger portions, I'm not that hungry. So I did what anybody would probably do. I leaned over to Jacob, wrapped my arm around him, and I'm like, Jacob, you know how bad we've been wanting this shrimp here in Brazil? We have the opportunity right here. And so we pull out our phones and, and we get it to Google Translate for us. And it said there were uh, 20 shrimp. And then it said something like, uh, you know, here's my definition of it, some fancy pants pasta, okay? So we're looking at this and we're like, yeah, it's pretty good. But, but we, we look at the price and we're like, well, the price of this one seems a bit more than these. But you know how good the American dollar spins over there. Like it's a good exchange rate. So we're like, yeah, we can do this. And Jacob was like, well, what if we get too much food? And we're like, I'll talk to Will over here. Will, Will is gonna help us um, finish it off if we have any troubles with it, Okay. So we order this dish and, and we're waiting for it to come. And at, as we're watching our table, I see Pam get finished and Frankie get finished and Reese get finished and our translators get finished and we still haven't gotten our food. And I'm like, what? Are we gonna get our food in time to eat? Cause you know, we might have to go soon. And then two waiters come around the corner, each holding a handle on this skillet, the biggest skillet I think I have ever seen. And this comes around the corner. <laughs> there was enough food on that one tray that our whole table could have eaten from it. 
And here we are, ready to tackle this dish. It was definitely one of those moments where I felt like I had bit off more than I could chew. And you know, as I'm reading this passage today, I think that a lot of the, the, the hearers that have just believed in what Jesus has initially told them, they're feeling that same thing. We're going to be looking at people that are going to be asked to step into discipleship, and they're going to struggle a little bit. All right, but before we, we jump in here, I want to give you just a little bit of background, okay? So Jesus is on the Temple Mount, okay? Now, it is most likely that the day before was the Feast of the Tabernacle. So there is a small crowd gathered from yesterday's festivities. And amongst that crowd, there is probably a mix of, let's say, everything, okay? And what I mean by that is you had common people, and you had religious leaders. You had people that don't believe and are hostile to Jesus. You have people that have just started to believe and maybe don't believe entirely. And then you've got genuine believers. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them. But what I want to really focus on is those who have just started to believe but may not believe entirely. Okay? And I want you to hear just a piece of the scripture that Brother Brandon covered last week just to kind of set this scene for us, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you'll turn with me now to John 8, verse 27. John 8, verse 27. And we're going to read together through verse 30. They did not know he, he being Jesus, was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Amen. That's a great start to a passage, right? He says these convicting words and people there start to believe. But then let's read the next little section. Verse 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Now, the text is clear. We see these people, these Jews, who have just started to believe him, 
struggle with what he says to them next. So let's zoom in on that statement and figure out what is it that's causing them so much turmoil. Now, specifically, he says two things, okay? So let's start with number one. He says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Okay, that's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's start with the first one. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. Now, as I was looking at that, the question that came to my mind is, what is it about this statement that would cause them to struggle? And here's why. Look at what they already have believed. Let's focus specifically on um, verse 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but just as the father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. So once again, the question is, why would they struggle with this command. And I couldn't see it first until I looked into Judaism a little bit. And I realized that one of the things that they stress in Judaism is that you are to immerse yourself in the law. And by immersing yourself in the law, you can know God. But do you realize what Jesus is saying here? Immerse yourself in my teaching. That might have been a struggle. It might have been a struggle for them to hear Jesus say, I provide life-giving words. Well, then what about the second part of this statement? In the second part of this statement, he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, one thing we would have to consider is that the first statement is going to stir up a lot of emotions. It's going to cause people to, to, to think about um, maybe some things that we struggle with today. You know, when we consider, um, when we consider the truth today, if you continue in my word, you see that many people believe some things about Jesus, but did not believe them entirely. And I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking, well, Michael, how can you know that? How can that be possible? And what I would say is easy because the moment that Jesus calls them to act in a way that would demonstrate their faith, continue in my word, they start to struggle. Let me be clear here. We find out what we believe through our actions, not our words. Jesus is calling them to put feet to their faith. I thought it was ironic that Tammy was up here giving that, that message this morning. That we're not just supposed to believe the right things, but we're supposed to do the right things. Put action to those things. Which brings us to our first challenge. 
Church, when it comes to our spiritual walk, do we quit when the road gets rough or do we burrow deep into our trust and belief? Jesus wants us to have a faith that is deeply rooted in him. It's trusting in him. It's absorbing those teachings and wanting to be around God's word and God's people as much as we can. Do you show yourself to be a true disciple who clings to God and says to the world, world, I can lose everything, but if I have God, I can still consider it gain. That kind of faith transforms And isn't that what God wants to do? He wants to transform our words and our life until we look nothing like the old person. The world listens to that. The world watches that. There's so many applications that you could do just for this first part. What do your actions say about missions? What do your actions say about suffering? Is it that we're just supposed to run from suffering whenever it comes? We're supposed to flee it and the first one to get out of it, like he's the one that wins. Or are we willing to say, no, God, if you want me to sit in suffering, if it would do some glory for your kingdom or spread your gospel in some way, let me sit. What do your actions say about the goodness of God? But most importantly, who do your actions point to as the object of your faith? Is it Jesus or anything else? If it's not Jesus, then turn from your sin and believe our God is good, faithful, and true. He loves when people turn to him. Now on to that second one. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, this one was difficult too. The Jews show in verse 33 that they believe something differently about this part as well. They say in verse 33, We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? We don't need freedom, Jesus. Abraham has given us all the freedom we need. Now, I know uh, the, the Bible scholars that you are this morning, some of you are going to struggle with that just period. You're going to say, never been enslaved to anyone. Weren't the Jews enslaved to Egypt and Assyria and Babylonia and Persia and Greek and Rome? Yeah. And to be fair, it's not like they have forgotten those things. What they are making, though, is they're making a spiritual statement. What they're saying is that our relationship to Abraham grants us a relationship to God. That was what they believed. Let me ask you this, church. Have you ever met someone that believes because grandma was a very godly person that stewarded the family in a good direction, that they're saved, that that faith 
carried over? Have you seen someone that's been deceived into believing that their relationship to something other than Jesus will grant them access to the kingdom? Well, I want to be crystal clear on that today as well. Grandma's faith will not save you. Your relationship to the church will not save you. The fact that you've done good things and have a good heart cannot save you. That's not what the Bible says. The message from Jesus is that those who sin are slaves to their sin, whether they realize it or not. And since we are all sinners, we are all slaves, unless we have been set free. So then the question that should come to us next is, okay, well, then how do we get set free? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at verse 35 and 36. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. In verse 35 and 36, we see that Jesus is able and willing to set people free. You see, when you look at a family unit, a son had a complete different set of rights than a slave. But it kind of just went like this. A son had rights, a slave had none. Slaves were considered temporary They didn't have any privileges. And at any point, they could be sent away or transferred to someone else. But with a son, it's not so. If you were the son of a family, you're a part of that family forever. You carried rights and privileges. And Jesus then has the ability to set slaves free. This is the argument He's making. But more than that, I want to make something else clear. This passage is highlighting something specifically. In a way, whenever we have an individual sin, we're a slave to that. We're held captive by the way that we continually, every once in a while, mess up. But the kind of sinning that Jesus has in mind here is he is talking about a continuous pattern of sin. And what Jesus is telling us is that when we have a continuous pattern of sin, we are a slave to that. And he is stressing that you no longer have the ability, the power within you to free yourself from that sin. It literally takes a supernatural act from God to free you from that sin. If you think of some sin that has a hold of you today, surrender yourself to Jesus. That's what he tells us through this passage. He is offering freedom. Because nothing is more powerful than God himself. 
Now let's look at verses 37 through 47. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. So then you do, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's word. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. Wow, that's heavy. How about we lighten it up just a little bit? How many of you are familiar with the actor Arnold Schwarzenegger? I was hoping I'd see most of the room raise their hand in some way, right? Can you name some of the movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger has been in? Twins, okay. What's that? Okay, Kindergarten Cop, yep. Terminator. Uh-huh. True Lies was one of them. Conan the Barbarian. And then um, one, of a, one of the greats, Predator, Okay. So anyway, around the 2000s, it became popular at that point, Arnold Schwarzenegger had put out a lot of movies. And about that time, people would use something called a sampler, which is basically, it would have all these little buttons on it, and you could attach audio clips to it. And whenever you would push that button, it would repeat off what, um, what the, the audio clip was, Okay. So people would make what they call the soundboard of all these different sayings from Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then they would call places and prank call them, okay? So they would call spas or they would call restaurants or they would call hotels, okay? And just so you're on the same page, I wanted you to hear what one of those prank calls would sound like. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm all right. Now I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Okay. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Oh. Who is your daddy? Who are you talking about? Who are you? Well, who are you? I'm Detective John Kimball. Hey, this is the motel. <laughs> and so this would go on usually for several minutes. Sometimes it would be with some poor telemarketers who think it's their job to have to stay on the phone with this guy. 
Well, one of the reasons that I thought this clip would be perfect is because it fits perfectly what you could label um, as the title for this section. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Look at what's happening here. You have the relig religious leader saying, Abraham is our daddy. And Jesus is saying, nope, because you don't do what he does. And Jesus is saying, God the Father is my daddy. And they're saying, nope. Jesus, we aren't sure who your daddy is. Did you catch that in verse 41? The jab? And it's going back and forth. And in this section here, Jesus starts by agreeing with the Jews. He's like, okay, yes, Abraham is your father physically. But spiritually, you look nothing like him. In fact, I want you to think back for a second. If you were to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 18, what you would, three, what you would see is three angel messengers that are sent to Abraham. And you know what he does? He welcomes them and he accepts their word. But here, these religious leaders have the Son of God. And not only do they reject his word, but just like he says, there is a pattern of trying to kill him, trying to kill him, trying to kill him. Jesus had the closest possible relationship you could think of to God the Father. And he was able to share specifically what God wanted his people to know. And the Jews were so blind that they couldn't see it. They couldn't hear it. They just continued with what they had always heard from their father. On one other note here, I wanted you to take note of the words... Uh, of the word speak and do. In this part, the words speak and do are written in the continuous tense. And that's important because it's stressing something. This is what you could say Jesus is saying. In verse 38, Jesus is saying, I keep speaking the same consistent message from my father and you keep trying to do what you have heard from yours, which was trying to kill him. Well, in verse 48 through 59, the debate then goes to Jesus's identity. So let's read that section now. The Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews say, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say, he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't even 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Well, it seems like at this point, it's pretty clear the messengers have rejected his message entirely. At least that's the way I interpret them calling him a demon-filled Samaritan. And yet in verse 51, read that with me again. This is how Jesus responds. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Do you see what he just did here? After being insulted for the umpteenth time, he offers them life, truth, and freedom. Isn't that just like our God? Isn't that just like our Savior? No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've spit in his face or rejected him, our patient, loving Savior is there to offer his greatest gifts. Meanwhile, the religious leaders are livid. And you know the irony about it? They do exactly what he said they would do. They reject his message and they pick up stones to stone him. You know, the irony of this passage is in verse, in, in just verse 25, they were saying, who are you? And down here in this section, they're saying, who do you think you are? And just in case it wasn't clear enough, Verse 58, make sure that everyone knows who Jesus is claiming to be. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. You see, Jesus' answer was playing off of an Old Testament theme. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 14. And if you can turn in your Bibles there, that would be great. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus 3, 14. And this is what it says there. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. 
Jesus blatantly and clearly proclaims that he is equal with God. Remember, we covered this a couple weeks ago. To claim you were a son was to claim that you, by extension, were equal with the Father. And the irony about this passage that is all about truth and freedom wraps itself entirely around the culmination of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect, perfect truth and perfect freedom. Do you realize that if there's some area in your life today where you need truth, you have so many voices clamoring for your attention, screaming, listen to me, Jesus offers truth. If you have some sin that has overtaken you, something that is taking away the freedom that is keeping you from the person that God has created you to be, a person that loves and worships their creator. Jesus offers willingly freedom for those who repent and turn from their sin. All of that is offered to you today. Truth and freedom are what we desperately need to become the people that God has called us to be. As we close for a time of response, I want you to know I'm gonna be right up here. If you wanna talk to me, you're more than welcome to come up. Or Pastor Kamar's over here. If I'm busy talking with someone, grab him. We would love to talk with you today. But now is the time that we respond to God's word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, without you, we would be nothing but slaves, captive to our own desires and the sins of this world. But you have been good and gracious. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. God, if there is anything that is keeping them from worshiping you fully, completely devoted, I pray that you would help them, that you would give them the strength and the courage to lean into their trust and belief, to call on your name. And God, we will be faithful to give you the praise and the glory that you, are to, that you deserve. In your name we pray, amen.